Well, before I open the prayer, you know, I apologize a little bit. A little bit under the weather this morning. We had, Woods didn't know it. He was close to being on call at 6 o'clock this morning. If you got two hours, you can do this. No, just uh, appreciate that. Just had a bad cold the last couple of days, one of those things. But anyway, so uh, we pray that the Lord will just activate. I, I think the... Uh, lady that I mentioned last week and then she called the Holy Spirit she says activate Holy Spirit activate so that's why I did this morning was activate Holy Spirit so I'm here evidently it worked so hallelujah we're going to start here with Deuteronomy look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 7 Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 7 and the title of the message is privileged position privileged position so Deuteronomy Chapter 4, verse 7, says this, says this. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Now, uh, what we see here is there never was a, a nation. There, was ne there never was a nation that could call upon God as their God. There wasn't any nation. And what we have here is we have the understanding that uh, that's the picture. You know, we, we need to understand the whole picture. A lot of times we're asking, well, how does God's work, how he's moving? Well, there was no nation that could all call upon God. You know, that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And um, no one lived up to what he, you know, to his glorious uh, presence. And then what God did, he called, he called Abraham. He called Abraham. And Abraham believed God. He believed God, and it was accounted to him righteousness, his righteousness. And then he built through Abraham a nation. A nation came through Abraham, which he called the apple of his eye. And that's the nation he's talking about. Just, there was, never was a nation like Israel like Israel, uh, that had a God so near to it, whenever they called, they called. And you see how this came apart. Now, uh, Israel failed in several ways, several ways. But what we have here, what we have here is that Jesus came through the nation of Israel. And then we see also that Jesus fulfilled all the promises of God. Now, many of the people failed, but Jesus fulfilled all the promises that God intended as he came through Israel. So you see this picture where it says, well, how does God work? There's a real clear picture right here of how God works, and we understand the principles of how he moves, you know. You know, with this, you know, this nation desired and found God. That's not true. No, God found a nation. He found a people. He found Abraham. And then he establishes. And then the, you can't ever forget how important Israel was because the human lineage is through the Jesus' lineage. Jesus' Jesus's human lineage is through Israel. And we can track that and understand, understand God's promises. And Jesus fulfilled all those things. And so that's what this is talking about. The privileged position that Israel had. Amen? But something happened. Now something happened. 
when Jesus came about. And it came about when Jesus came about, and he, and through Jesus, God, through Jesus, God started a holy nation. He, he called out a people, the church and believers, people who trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, those people came together, and he called those people the same name he called Israel. Now, register. I mean, the, the, you know, people sometimes have a tendency just to read pieces of the Bible or don't read this piece and read that piece and do whatever. Don't like this piece. Do like, don't read like that. It's all God's word, and, and we need to see the whole thing. Or you get totally messed up, you know, in, in this. You don't have a clue about what God is trying to do. So you, so you see this where God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, fulfilled what Israel was supposed to do. The people failed, but Jesus didn't fail. And then when Jesus came and people started putting their trust in him, and then the believers were coming around and having a group of believers through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you develop this massive group of people that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what he did, he called it, this is my holy nation. This is my holy people. Same statement he had for Israel. The church is God's nation. And you can look at 1 Peter 2.9. talks all about it. You know, 1 Peter 2.9 spells it out. You are my holy nation. Now, and this is kind of my pet peeve in, in a way. But this it was established in the Old Testament. It wasn't established in the New Testament. It was established in the Old Testament. And when you see it fold through to this point, and God's called out people through Jesus, and so you have in the New Testament, say, you're my holy people. And you think, well, golly, independently isolated situation, now we're God's holy people. Well, no, sort of. But it's fulfilling what I fulfilling what I said in the Old Testament. See, it's all connected. Everything in here is connected, and therefore we have a perspective of what God is 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 doing, and we don't understand all of it. But then we begin to see that God is moving in a powerful way within His church. Now, God, in the promises to Israel, like that, He promised that God would move powerfully through. Israel. Well, the nation failed, but through Christ there was fulfillment, and then through Christ now you have us here. Now, why is that? Israel, it says right here, was in a privileged position in a whole nation, and God calls them, you are the apple of my eye. You are in this privileged position. But what we have now is the church is in the privileged position. Okay? We together on that right now. Now, we are the holy nation of God. And uh, as believers, individually, and as the church as a whole, and we don't really live up, <laughs> you know, to what God intended. We, we just mess up big time. I don't need a hand raise, but right, you know, the church really messes up. Well, the church is not perfect. And you know why the church is not perfect? You know why it's not perfect. People's in it. <laughs> People are in it. 
See? And so the church is made up of people, and people aren't perfect, and they aren't perfect. So it is not perfect, and because it's not perfect, it doesn't really do the, you know, carry out all the glory God intended. You think, oh my gosh. And if you, you know, you step back a little bit and say, God, what are you going to do with this mess? I look back, and, and I'm talking out my own view, not necessarily usual. And you look at Israel, and that was absolutely train wreck. Okay, that's not a biblical term, but that's my view. I said, God, that, it was an absolute train wreck. And now you come here and you have the church, and it's maybe not quite a train wreck, but close to it. You know, I mean, it just doesn't seem like it's hitting on all cylinders. How can you call this church a holy people? How can you call them a holy people? How can you call this church as the apple of your eye? Because that's what he's done. Because that's where we are to have. That's where we are today. And so Deuteronomy four seven, that baton has been given to us today. All right, Old Testament all the way through the New, it's unfolding just the way God intended, and He works with imperfect people. Imperfect people. Amen? And so how's he pull this off? How's he pull it off? How in God how can God in good conscience look at us and say, You're my holy people? How can he do that? But that's what he's done. Well, it's important we know that so that we can understand our relationship with God. How many of you taught, heard, or somebody said to you, Oh, I messed up so bad, I just I can't even pray, you know, I can't even think about God because I'm such made such a mess or somebody tells you God would never listen to me you know it's just I'm just a total wreck you know well God said no no you're my people and I'll work through that I'll work through that and I know I'm really taking some time to be here but I will make the point how does he make it right how can he call us holy and he doesn't First this morning, we'll look at, look at Colossians 2.4. This is how God does it. This is his plan. He knew we were imperfect. He knew he was going to work through his church. He knew it's full of imperfect people. And they are his holy people. But this is how he pulls it off. Colossians 2.14. God canceled the recorded debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside nailing it to the cross. All our perfections, all our failures, everything we fall short was nailed to the cross. And there's nothing left but say, this is my holy people. This is my holy people. Nothing's held against them. Nothing's held against them. They're pure and holy. And I'm going to say this. He looks at he's there as pure and holy is Jesus. Is Jesus. But for for him to overlook our evilness, our sin, the things we do, even after we come to know him, he says in the Old Testament, he goes that there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Well, I don't like that. But that's God's view. You may not like it, but it means you don't understand 
God. Because God said, sin is detestable to me. And it is to be, and it is only the way it can be atoned for is by the shedding of the blood of the person who committed it. He detested. And the length in which he detested is shown because he shed blood. Shed blood. Well, why didn't he? No, he shed blood because it's detestable. And we see, God, that's detestable. And they had all these sacrifices. And they said they'd have these sacrifices in Jerusalem. They said blood would just run through the streets. Just run through the streets for all the animals they sacrificed. You know. But that was to pay atonement for this detestable sin. See, if we don't think sin is that, that's well, ain't that bad. You didn't have to kill that many sheep for me. You know, I mean, I'm pretty good. We have no concept of God. No concept. And so the, the vision of the blood running through the streets of Jerusalem for the sacrifices of sin, which God says is detestable. And then you come up with Jesus. He comes here. And says when Jesus was sacrificed, he's the end of all sacrifices. All that blood running through the streets of Jerusalem, it ended with Jesus. It's over. John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, when he saw Jesus, he goes, There is the Lamb of God. Little cute lamb you give to your kids, you play as a pet and have a little pen for it, you know. No, that's the Lamb of God that you cut his throat and drained his blood and burned his body. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And once Jesus was crucified, crucified no more saying, it's over. It's over. Because all God's such a detestable view of sin fell on Jesus, and Jesus paid it. And it's gone from God's mind forever. Because he paid the ultimate price for it. And it's never on us again. Ever. Ever. So Colossians. So Colossians right here. 2.14. That's how he made his church a holy nation. And if the church kind of grasped the depth of that. You know. It's kind of like. We should just fall to our knees and say. Oh my God. Oh, dear G Oh, my God. And if we don't know anything but that, we should fall to and say, oh, my God. See? So there's a picture. There's a picture we have. And you think, okay, here's the picture where Jesus paid this unbelievable tr uh, price. And then he culminated all this punishment into the person of Jesus Christ. And then, therefore, he took that sin and we are cleansed. Because of the magnitude of the price that Jesus prayed. And if we can't recognize the magnitude of that, we can't walk with God. Well, God, that was too much. If we say that was too much, it's because we do not recognize the magnitude of that sin. You see? Powerful. I mean, this is a powerful verse right here. And you think, oh, my goodness. He took the whole record of our debt and he nailed it to the cross now what does this get us okay it's like we stand there it's like you know the good grief that i mean that's a big deal and and you you think all right i accept that and it's almost beyond imagination but what does it get us in a way 
well, we go to heaven, you know, but, you know, we're still standing there, you know, that, that magnitude of the stuff. What, what encompasses our life and our relationship with God? What does it get us? You know, what, I mean, what's the cause and effect here? Well, what the Bible tells us in, in Hebrews, it, which is so fascinating, and it says it gets, it gets us total access to God. Total access to God. That's what it gets us. We walk in, and, and, and it's like, and you've seen pictures, and I think God actually gives us these pictures, like the kings and queens and people coming before kings, and they had to set up, you make appointments, you went before the king, you had to be really fearful, you know, if you read the book of Esther, you know, she was to go before the king because he's going to kill all the Jews, and she's, listen, you can't, she's no Mordecai, so you can't go, just go before him. You can't go before him. He said, if I go, anybody goes into his room, and if he doesn't drop his, you know, scepter too, they kill you on the spot. Now, that's what Esther says. He said, you can't go in there. And he said, you know, and he tells Esther, you're here for such a time as this. And so she kind of, bless Esther, she just kind of sucks it up, dresses up, get all this thing, and she walks in there, and fearful and standing there, and said, he looked at her, and he says, the king dropped his scepter. And she came forward. See, that physical picture gives you the picture of God, the Father, the King on his throne. No one can just traipse up to God's throne. That picture can't, can't do it. But what, what Jesus did, what Jesus did, he paid the penalty, and it says, you boldly go before the throne. We have total access we can just run through the door and run up to the throne and he has open arms. There's no fear. There's no trembling. There's nothing. We just run up to his, run up to his throne. Um, I'll share a little story from Alpha, which is interesting. Alpha's an English thing, but they use this example. But I think it's a pretty picture. And, and again, the reason I'm going is if we don't understand the majesty of God, understand what Christ did, understand this dynamic. We can't appreciate Christ for what he did. And if we can't appreciate we never can have the spiritual power ever because we don't recognize what God did. We have to recognize what he did. Amen. Well, here's a story, and this is an alpha. Nicky Gumbel told this story, and I'd actually heard it before. And it's during the Civil War. It's during the Civil War. And during the Civil War there, Washington, D.C. was a, a military camp. It was just thousands of military camp. And said there was a, a soldier there, and he wanted access. He couldn't get a pardon because of his family and stuff. And the only person to give him a pardon to help his family, and they were destitute, was Abraham Lincoln himself. You couldn't get a pardon. And he's just a private in there. And he said he couldn't get access. Every time he'd go up, he said, you know, I mean, you're not... You don't even write. You're not in line. So he couldn't get access. And so he was on a bench, at, you know, in D.C. And this boy, boy came up. And he says, and he saw his and he's talking. He says, what's the matter? And he told us, I, I, the only person who helped me is Abraham Lincoln. He's, he said, well, what do you want? He said, he said, well, come with me. I'll take you. He said, what do you mean? Come with me. And so he went with the boy, and the boy took him into the White House, went through the White House, said there's guards all over the place. 
all over the place. The boy took, went to my guards, the past guards, and he says, this friend of mine just walked in with this guy, went into the office where Abraham was on, didn't even knock, just walked in and walked in, and he walked up Abraham Lincoln, and he goes, Dad, this guy wants to talk to you. See? See? And that's what we do. Now, nobody, you can't get there. You can't get there. But we can. We don't have to knock. <laughs> hey, Dad, I need to ask you something. I need to ask you something. But you see, and this is what God, and again, if we don't recognize, and I'm convinced of this, if we don't recognize this, we're just going to be lukewarm. We're never going to have the spiritual power. We're never going to have the capacity we don't recognize the depths of the sin, depths of what Christ did, the depths of what he did for us. And you recognize that, and it's, oh, my goodness. And the title of the message, watch, Privileged Position. And so what we have here is, and, and you know my favorite verse, you know, it's like Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, you know that. It says, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. Now we have this overhead. I love this overhead because this overhead depicts it. See, that's what happened. That's why we have access. That's why we, that's, that is the only reason we have access. There's no other reason. This is all you talk about. This is all you have to camp out, live out, and project. And then stuff flows out from that. And why it flows out for that is because of that, that our sins are nailed to the cross because Jesus became sin. We have access. Just like Abraham's son. No one said anything to him. He went right through the office. No one stopped him. He went right through past everybody because he had total access. The church has total access to the Father. We are the only nation in the whole world that has access to the Father. We're the only ones. Every religion, everything, whatever thing, however good, anything, whatever you think, they do not have access to the Father. Only the church has access to the Father. Why does Satan despise the church? It's weak and fumbling around. It just, you know, <laughs> because we have access to the Father. He knows it as well as anything. Access to the Father. Now, and so when we grab this, that, and two, you know, and people, you know, you talk, say, well, this person believes this, this person. I mean, they are making difference what they believe. We have access to the Father, and we know the truth. And anything opposite off that is not truth. It's not truth. Y'all with me? It, it, from God's point of view, it's pretty simple. I mean, if we stood before God, this will not happen. Well, so-and-so said this, so-and-so said this, so-and-so said this, da-da-da-da-da. And God's answer, he goes, but I said, I said, see, and it's all, okay. He said, so it's the end of the statement. It's true. You know, he said. Now, I'll be the first, like, read this. There's a lot of it. I don't understand. But I swear to God before the Lord Jesus Christ, and I shouldn't. 
But I never doubt he said it. There's just a lot of things I don't understand. I never doubt he said it. Never doubt he said it in the least. And that I don't understand the fullness of it. And so here we have the picture. Okay, with me, we have what Jesus did. The magnitude of what Jesus did, I don't think we could even grasp the magnitude. Jesus on the cross, becoming sin for the world. I mean, if he just, he did, he became my sin. I mean, I mean, not that, I mean, he had a lot to die for. I mean, I, I could cause him a lot of pain, you know. But he became sin for the world. The agony of that, people talk about, they look at the cross, and the cross was unbelievable agony at the cross. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But that was just a picture of the real agony he suffered. The real agony that he suffered was becoming sin. That was greater than any of the physical. The physical just gives us a picture. But the agony is he became sin. And it's like, and he realized he did that. Why? We have access. We have access. Now, so we are no, we have a privileged position. This way God looks at us. We have a privileged position. Our whole view of life should change. And so he took care of any sin. And, to, you know, people say, well, this sin was really bad. They couldn't have taken care of that. Can you imagine Jesus suffering, becoming sin? And we say, you didn't suffer enough. My sin was greater. You didn't suffer enough. You know, it's like, that's insane thought if you understand what Jesus suffered. You would never say he didn't suffer enough. You know, we talked about that. I think it was last week or the week before. He said that Jesus was a guilt offering, you know. And the guilt offering was a sacrifice for the sin plus 20%. He not only sacrificed your sin, he suffered plus 20% for you. No, the magnitude, the magnitude of what he did on the cross. And we start recognizing the magnitude, then we recognize we run to the throne. The arms, oh, it says confidently. It says in the scriptures, he, he came conf come confidently, boldly, come to the throne of God for help. All God's people said, and that's a picture, that's who we are. Now, and I tell you, People who don't want us to understand that, the spiritual people, Satan does not want us to understand that. He has lost all control. You see? He didn't want. But the world that is not their demon possessed, but prompted by the evilness of Satan and changed things, uh, they don't want us to believe that. They don't want us to believe that. All this, not, and I'm not going through the details of it because you know what I did. All this nonsense that's going just against human morality. All this nonsense they're trying to push, you know, why are you doing that? There's one reason. There's only one reason. See, we get confused. People get confused. There's one reason. It's to undercut God's creation. That's all it is. And it has undercut the family. God didn't make you like that. And you can be what you want to be. I'm God. That's what they, it's nothing else. It is nothing else. They want you to argue about it. There is nothing else but that. Satan wants to undercut God's creation. And he wants to undercut 
the family. He wants to destroy the family because the power which is, in, is with the family. With the family. Don't argue about the rest. That's all there is. There's nothing else. The rest of it's wasted time. Amen? Hallelujah. So here we, but we have access. Now, so this incredible price that we're trying to fathom of what Christ did. And when we fathom, we just would fall to our knees. And then when we fathom what Christ did, we fall to our knees. And he, Jesus says, get up, run to me, go full into the throne room. All of what God has is available to you. And then he says this, it's not only available to you, but you little old mind, God bless you. I mean, he doesn't say that to you, but he says it to me. You know, Wallace, you little old mind, you can just get so far, but you know, you ought to think outside a little bit of the box, you know, because I can do so much more than you can even comprehend. And he tells each one of us, Ephesians 3.20, I do abundantly more. You access to my throne now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than than all that we ask or think according to his power at work within us now i'm going to ask you something i don't mean to be sarcastic do you have any idea what that says do you have any i don't think i do do you have any idea what that verse says him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask. All you think, according to the power within you. Well, I, have, I don't know if God can do this. What are you talking about? You could think of it. He got that done. Because you thought of it. And you're not that deep, you know. You really, you think you are, but you're not that deep. See, if you thought of it, you're so far below God, you can't comprehend what he would do. Because what he does is far more than anything you can't imagine. How do we get there? i tell you how to get there. Jesus paid the penalty plus 20% of a magnitude for all creation and became sin. All fell on the Lord Jesus Christ. An unbelievable consequence because God is so, he's, he just hates sin. It's detestable. And Jesus paid all of it plus 20%. And we grab, oh my God, the, the, what he has paid is incomprehensible for me. Now you can step and start to have an idea of what can, God can do. But you've got to understand what he did on the cross. If you can't understand what I'm doing in Christ, you can't go no place. You can't go no place. You see what I'm saying? You got problems with the cross. You can't go any place. But once you grasp, now you don't, can't grasp the whole thing, but once you put your arms around what happened to the cross, then all of a sudden it's, oh my God, then you open it up and you say, now you can come through the throne. How can I do that? I'm, I'm impure. I can't come all that impurity. Jesus became that impurity. Therefore, you come boldly before. You have total access. You have total access now. Wow, man. All because of what Jesus did. I have total access. Well, what I do now, Lord, I, I don't know even how to approach this. What, well, you know, just asking. Because what I can do is so far above what you can think. And if you think of it, you're not where I am. 
If you think of it, you're not there yet. Because I can do more than what you're thinking. Come on to me. I'll show you great things. I'll show you great things there. Amen? So it's, just, it's overwhelming. It's powerful. And I always love he throws his word in here more than you think. Abundantly more. Not just more, like a little bit more. No, abundantly more. Anything you process and think. Okay, so anyway, so we come to this, con- and we have this, start grabbing this, con- being to comprehend what Jesus did. Again, we comprehend what Jesus did, the magnitude of what Jesus did. And again, you think it from the Father's point of view. The magnitude from the Father that he knew what Jesus was to suffer. He knew what was going to happen. The pain he felt to see his son. And he did that so we could come before him. He he allowed his son to suck up all that sin so we could come boldly before the throne. And Jesus did it willfully. He knew he didn't like the idea. He knew it was going, man, this is going to hurt. That's basically what he said. But he did it so that we willfully come before the Father. And that's the reason it says pray. It says pray. How do you pray? Ask the Father in the name of Jesus. What happens? All the doors open up. All the doors open. We are the only people in the world that can do that. Only ones. We're the only ones. Nobody else can do it. And then we do that. And then we start. We believe that. And we start believing the whole word of God. Somebody start. This is me. Commentary alert <laughs> commentary alert this is me when i hear people pastors or anything preach and they say well this is good and then they question a portion of the bible i mean literally that i don't believe it or you know i just question if that's what he meant i immediately tick them off in my head is i'll never listen to them ever again and they do not understand scripture i'll never i don't care what they say i mean i don't think gary if you go to the church they're giving you hundred dollar bills you're off my books here. You put a question. That's it. God didn't say it. You may not understand it, but don't say God didn't say it. Now that's just me. Just me. So, and Lynn, I love that help talk through things. You don't answer questions and stuff. Try to, but don't say, no, he didn't say this. God didn't say this. He, God, God doesn't understand the moral situation of the world. And, that, you know, he has to catch up. And all these people, he's like, ooh, nope, ain't happening. You know, you see what I'm saying? So we really, it's really simple kind of so to understand things. But when we do this, we come to this point, understanding what Jesus did, have access to the guy, the Father, then we start believing the Scripture. We start believing the scripture. See, we don't care what anybody else says. We believe the scripture, you know. It's like you drive in your car and say, I don't believe your car runs. Well, I just drove up. I don't care. It doesn't run. Fine. You know, I can go someplace else. And I know my car runs just fine. See, but a lot of us say, well, let's get out and argue with them and, you know, and discuss. You no, know, these people are beyond discussion. You have to be convinced yourself yourself i always love that one um, and there's actually a paper of it where the early christians and they couldn't the romans couldn't figure out the christians because they would willing they'd be martyred and they would willingly go to their death for christianity they couldn't figure it out 
they just couldn't figure it out, you know, why they would do that, you know. And, and there's a letter from a governor to somebody in Rome. And it, it's, I mean, you could look up. And he said, you know, these Christians really die well. And he couldn't figure it out. They really die well. Because what, what they believed what Christ did on the cross. They believed, and they put everything, they believed they had access. They believed, you know, and they believed the scriptures. They believed the scriptures. It says, and there's no overhead here, Psalms 18.30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Linda and I were talking the other day, and being we are, Maturing. <laughs> That's better than saying we're old as dirt. But we are <laughs> we're maturing. And it's like, but we're talking about, and it's like what we did and what we understand when we're 20 and 30. And we're like, oh, my God. And it's the grace that God did. Oh, it's like, oh, my God. And you go, what, what were we thinking, you know? And then you see people that are younger, and you go, oh, God. They don't know. Oh, what are they thinking? You know, you just get old and you just like, and you think God's going, you know, I've seen this over and over again. But the Bible tells us, and we, we, and there's certain things we have stuck to the scriptures and God has blessed because we stuck to the scriptures and things. Well, we'll take a shortcut, which really was devastation. You know, it's like, hey, doing that again, you know. But it's like, the Bible's here. He's to tell us. It's all of there, and we need to know. But it comes back, and one thing Linda and I had together that kept us straight is the magnitude of what Jesus did. We always had that. We had the magnitude of what he did, you know, and then it helped us to understand we had access. And we, you know, sometimes we're having access to the throne. You know, we were in there playing volleyball or something. You know, we didn't really appreciate that what we needed to have you know it's like no you should talk to the father instead of play volleyball in the courtyard you understand what I'm talking about right so we didn't really know what to do when we had access but we knew we had access you know we didn't know what to do when we got there but but then you start learning as, as you go along you start learning as, as you go along and then but then you start seeing the word and depending on the word when you don't understand what it says I'll just do what the word says I won't understand it but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it like that. Okay. Now, I'm going to so in this. Not in this. I always tell them. I give people a head fake. So you tell me, end it. You know, end it. You go for 30 minutes after you say you're going to end it. Anyway, so I'm not going to go for 30 minutes. But I'm making a transition, if you will. Um, so the whole point of it is that privileged position and what God says about us. And, I mean, and this is what God's saying about us. He's trying to convince us. You know, it's like, good grief, he's trying to convince us. Well, and, and what we see in scriptures, that we see very clearly in scriptures that we should spend time in prayer. I mean, the scripture's real clear. It says, pray to me, and that means just, you know, talk to God. And our prayers have power. Our prayers have power. God says, talk to me, talk to me. And uh, I remember when I first came to know the Lord, and I didn't know wasn't in church or anything, but when I came to know the Lord, I used to walk outside at night in our apartment complex, and I just walk around the park and just talk to God, just talk to Him, walking up and down the sidewalk, because I didn't know any different. I didn't, you know, I just, but as a believer, so I just talked to Him. 
that's good. I still do that, you know, but th- that's good. And I feel comfortable, you know, just walking and talking. Or sometimes, you know, you could uh, pray like Nehemiah prayed. You could pray like Nehemiah prayed. When Nehemiah went to the went to the king of Persia to ask him a question. Again, like these guys didn't put up with nothing. You know, I'd like to get a question or something. I mean, if they didn't like your question, they'd kill you. You don't, you know, understand you had that picture. Well, we have Nehemiah had a question, and he just kind of had a downtrodden look on his face. And so, but we could pray like Nehemiah did when he was before the king. And you look at this, I the overhead. I love this verse. And we pray anytime, any place, anywhere, right? You're before the king. Nehemiah 2 4 says, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? And Nehemiah, you know, his first thought, I'm thinking like, Oh, shoot. <laughs> you know, but no, it doesn't say that. What are you requesting? And it says, So I pray to the God in heaven. <laughs> the king goes, Nehemiah, what are you requesting? to the God of heaven. You think he fell on all fours, held up his hands, you know, and says, everybody join me and lay hands on me and we'll pray before the king. No, he said, oh dear God, give me a word. See, pray. I mean, that's how you pray. Just pray and do something. Just pray. Talk. Walk around your apartment complex or just say, dear God, give me help. And I'm sure he didn't say it out loud. He said, so at the point, the whole idea is we just need to pray because we have total access God do more abundantly than we can imagine, and we need to recognize what he did and who we are so that we can pray. Now, have you ever in your life, prayers, and I'm saying this is true, you just want to pray, you just don't know what to say. You, know, you just don't know what to say, and you just, you struggle with what to say, or, you know, maybe um, you don't know what to say, or you don't know how to say it. You, you don't know how to put words around it. You, you don't know how to get it together. You, anyway, you're just like, you kind of look at God and you just won't go, <laughs> you know, kind of like that. You know what I mean? Well, I have to. Well, I want to share something with you. And I'll tell you where I, where I heard it, where I heard this, and it was from R.T. Kendall. Now, I've heard it from a couple of places that guys are doing the book study, and he's, he's mentioned this in the book study, and so I picked up on it. And uh, Mike and Susan, Linda, and I went to a conference just a while back, R.T. Kendall's. He was really, really good. Well, he said this again on prayer. He, he said this. So what I'm sharing is what he said. Okay, so I want to give her credit if credit is due. But he said, but it struck me about prayer, something I, you know, never thought about. And he shared verses that I, were, I was very, very familiar with. These weren't new verses. I was familiar with thought I understood him. But he made comments, and I thought, well, that is interesting. Oh, it's on prayer. So y'all want to hear? Want to hear? All right. Well, first of all, what got my attention, and I, I did one of these, cross my arms, go, get out of here. I mean, so that was the first thing. But he said, but the comment, he says, now, here is the perfect prayer. Now, I have never in all my Christian life heard anybody tell me that. Here is the perfect prayer. In fact, I told him the opposite. You know, I mean, with that, you can walk around the apartment complex or just dear god help me i mean all prayers are good he said this is the perfect prayer so he got my attention okay so i'm all right i don't i'm not there yet but i'll listen to you because i respect you well and he said there's three perfect prayers i thought okay now and what i'll do is just share with you and there was really a lot said and it helped me as i looked at this like 
Well, it really helped me when you go before the throne of God. And like you can ask just like little Abraham's son run up there. Hey, daddy, you know, anything. And that's what it's supposed to be. But sometimes if you kind of have your act together, you'll know what to say. And it helps you to communicate, right? So I think this is what this is. So this is not a thus saith the Lord, but it's I hope, you know, it's just kind of, well, no, that, that helps me. This could be encouraging. So anyway, so he, the first perfect prayer, he said, is the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And he said, uh, I mean, I'm laughing at myself. And he said, it's a perfect prayer because Jesus said, pray like this. (laughs) Of course it's perfect, you know. Jesus, that wasn't a bad prayer, but I can top that one. I got a better prayer than you do. It's like, no, I mean, when Jesus said, hey, pray like this, you got to think, no, this is this is probably the perfect prayer. He just said, pray like this. And now, the, the, the prayer I know, and I'm a, I want to be honest with you so you can come. It, to me, when all the times that the Lord's Prayer, I even memorized it, and to me, it was just rote, rote, you know, kind of liturgy, you know, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Okay, you know, just rattle it off, you know. And um, I just being honest, like, but he went through it. He's no Jesus. Jesus says this is the perfect prayer, and I thought hey, maybe I better pay a little more attention to what he said. Okay, so when I thought about that, and again, understanding what Jesus did, you have access to the throne. You're going before God. You're going before the Father, and you want to ask Him a question, or you want to pray something to Him. And Jesus says, "Now here is the perfect way. Now how can we pray? Anyway, we want to." Okay, don't anybody go, oh, I can't ever pray unless I pray like this. No, I'm just saying this is something we can learn. Oh, we can approach something like this. And so, let, we'll just go through this because you don't have to turn there. But this is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. And it starts off with like this, which is so profound, which, I mean, and I'm just being honest, I just skip over it. You know, Jesus says, pray like this. You know, when Jesus says something, you shouldn't skip over it. <laughs> I mean, you're right? You know, I don't care what it is. Okay, Jesus says, pray like this. So here we are. Understand what Jesus did. We have total access. We're running up to the throne. And we say, our Father. We recognize who he is. Our Father. Tad, you know, Abraham Lincoln's little boy. He came and says, Daddy, this guy wants to talk to you. He dressed him. So all of a sudden, it's like, okay, you go pray. Recognize who you're talking to. Our Father, who art in heaven. See, he's not in this mess. He doesn't have to get up off the dirt and dust this crap off of him. He's out there. He's in heaven. He's in heaven. See, our Father, who art in heaven, holy be your name. And you know, you see what we've done there? See what I've done there? You put God where he belongs. You put God where he belongs. It's like, well, we'll go before Congress. We'll go before, no, they, that, I mean, they, they, they ain't right. No, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he is above the whole universe. We just acknowledge him. Do you understand? We acknowledge him out of reverence, out of reverence. Our Father, who are in heaven, holy, holy is your name. Then he says this. Now remember, we're going to pray. Your 
kingdom come. You know how I pray? I come before him. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My kingdom come. My kingdom come. You build my kingdom. You build what I want. You build what I now we wouldn't call it kingdom, but that's what we're doing. You you give me what I want. You make my kingdom. <laughs> no, you go. It says your kingdom, your majesty, your glory that makes everything work the way it's supposed to. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Now when we pray and we pray, here's your God. And what are we praying? I'm talking to myself, you know. My will be done. It's what I want. My will be done. And if you love me, you'll do it. But that's not what it says. No, you, you go, the Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, because you do everything right, God. You do everything right. You come here so you can do things right. And then your will would be done. In all this mess, your will would be done. I wish this could like, I wish that. No, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, do you see how everybody on earth is totally fouled up? Let me establish what morality is. Let me establish what good is. Let me establish. God goes, no. It's my kingdom. It's my will, and you are here at my pleasure, my pleasure. And so when we pray, when we pray, you say, God, your kingdom, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because what's happened in heaven, God wants it on earth. Well, I believe this on earth, and I believe this on earth, and I believe this morality on earth. I believe that God goes, I, that's not my deal. This is what I believe in heaven, and this is to be instituted on earth. By whom? People who have access to him. The church. See don't get sucked into this stuff. But now, when I say him, he works through us. We trust him. So you have this whole vision. This is a perfect prayer. And it says, oh, my God. Well, Lord, you know, I do have a few needs. I'm, you know, i got to get through this world. He says, that's right. And he says, I put you in here. Give us this day our daily bread. How, and now, I, I'm not being trying to be a smart aleck. Please don't care. How many of you here are just driving yourself nuts worrying about retirement? I just want to tell you, God didn't, never did. He, he, he never did. He says, give you your daily bread. And he says, other place, he, he talks about, he says, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. What about today? Caleb's one of my favorite guys. Caleb goes up, and, you know, he and Joshua were the only one who went to the land since they came back. So everybody's dead. They all die. So Caleb says, hey, Joshua, let you know, you know, everybody denied him. Sent me and Joshua, and he says, I'm 80 years old. Give me a section of land. I want to go conquer it. So he's about, so I'm shooting at 80. I said, all right, just give me something. I'm 80. You know, I want to go. You know, I'm going to take me out of here. Uh, I'm, I'm 80. But, 
But what God, he says, no, you know, you worry about today. I'll take care of tomorrow. Now it says it, and I know every financial advisor in here is just blowing a gasket about now. Blowing a gasket. You know, see what I'm saying? But that's what he says. Don't worry about it. I always joke with people. Now, I'm just being funny. Some people wouldn't think it's funny. I just say, Linda and I, Linda, I have never lost one cent in the stock market. Not one cent. We never put nothing in it. <laughs> we never put nothing in it. You know, it goes up. Now, we don't care. We ain't had nothing in it. You know, like that. But now, they, some of you might say, that's really irresponsible. But anyway, we do worry about the daily bread. You know, in fact, after church today, she's like, I go to the store. So, you know, I need to get our daily bread today when I go to the store. But the point of it is, this is Jesus. This is the perfect prayer. Worry about today's bread, not tomorrow's. Not tomorrow's. Now, I know all y'all taking this with a grain of salt, but to how you approach things. But then the next thing, that says, and forgive us our trespasses as we, we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, a lot of people have a real problem with this section of Scripture, and I think they're missing the point because, well, we're totally forgiven. We've already forgiven our trespasses, and God's already forgiven our trespasses. We don't have to f- depend on him the future to forgive our trespasses and stuff like that. But that's not what he's saying because this is talking about day-to-day life as we go through life, day-to-day life, and it says, we make mistakes. We, we absolutely make mistakes. And we say, God, when I make a mistake, I, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, my gosh, forgive me of that. And it, we're kind of taking care of the immediate consequences. Oh, Lord, let me re- rectify that. I, I want to walk through life. And I, I, I don't want to be slipping up and saying, not just throwing everything in heaven, though I'm forgiven. I want to be walking through life and be alert and when I'm doing something wrong and confess my sins to others. So forgive us our trespasses, you know. You forgive us, God, you forgive us of those trespasses as we forgive all those other people around us who mess up. See, that's what that's saying. You know, salvation's nailed and he's not talking about that. He was just trying to walk through life forgiving one another and knowing God has forgiven us and, you know, keeping short accounts. And then the next one here, and it's and lead us not into temptation. And, you know, Believe it or not, we have trials, and there's trials come up, and we get in all situations. Say, God, don't lead me into these trials. I have my eyes focused on you. Please lead me away from situations that will cause problems. You're alert, and you want God to take care of you as the things come to you and things like that. And deliver us from any evil. And that's something else Linda and I talked about, you know, like 75 years old. We look back, oh, my God, has he delivered us from things that would have been an absolute train wreck. And we think how close we came to being involved and God protect us and pulled us out of that and others didn't, you know. So, so that's the prayer. You're going to deliver us from evil. And then right here it says, for yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Now, so, and I'm taking a little more time in this because I, and this is for you to process through, but say, how would you use that? See, I was saying it's a rope prayer and it did nothing for me. You know, I'm not into rope prayers, you know. Well, it's not a real prayer. Just say you have X, Y, Z prayer, and how you do it, you say that prayer in this context and with these parameters. You see what I'm saying? Like you would say, oh, when you pray like, our Father who art in heaven, you know, holy is your name. 
Your kingdom come. God, keep our kids safe. Your kingdom come and keep them safe. Your will be done. You protect these kids as we pray for them. See, you interject that. And you, you make this alive for your situation. You know, oh, dear God, you know, you know, give us our daily bread. Give them their daily bread. We can provide them each day as they go out. Yeah, but you see what I'm saying? So you incorporate this prayer into your prayer. It, it, how do you ask something? This gives you a good idea how you would ask something. You all with me? You good? You kind of make a point? Okay. Now, the other one, I'm going to go through these much quicker. But the second one, he said, pray in the spirit. Now, he said something, and I thought, and I'm going to say it because he said it, you know. But, um, and he says, praying in the spirit. This is in Romans 8.26. And he says, I believe what he's talking about is that in Romans 8.26, is he's actually talking about praying in tongues. And he says, he's praying in tongues. And you see him, he wrote 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about praying in tongues here. He's, he's saying the same thing. He says, he's praying in tongues. And he says, However, it's not the only thing. It's praying in the Spirit. And he says, and if you ever pray when something that God just overwhelms you with something and puts it on your heart, and you're just praying, pouring out your heart, not just you going through the list, but just pouring through your heart. And he says, God, it's your, your Spirit praying through you. And he says he thinks both of those are true. But I always want to encourage, I do believe that the praying in tongues is, is, has a legitimate place in in the church and he said this about it because the and it says this pray in the spirit the in spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of god when you pray in the spirit you're praying according to the will of god you're praying in tongues you're praying again according to will of god or you're praying that god came and just filled you i don't know and you just pour you're praying according to the will of god Amen? That's right. According to the will of God. Then the third one here, and this one is, as for wisdom, and this is James 1, 5. And it says, any of you last, lack wisdom, let him ask God and he'll, be give, he'll give it to you. Now, what's interesting about this, just James 1, 5, you ought to put this on your refrigerator. He says, if you don't, this is absolute, will happen. If you don't have wisdom, ask God, he will give it to you. What do we need in this world? What do you need in your home? What do you need in your work? He says, I'll give it to you. Ask, and I will give it to you. Every time you go someplace, dear Lord, I don't know what's going here. Give me wisdom. He says it's an absolute. And so I thought, well, RT. <laughs> RT. You know, and, it, and you look, and that's what it says. It says, it, 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 there's nothing around it. Wisdom, and he wants to give us wisdom because he wants us to behave in this world and be able to get through the things we get through. You have to ask him, but ask him for wisdom. We're so busy figuring it out, doing it our own way, we can't get his wisdom. We're too smart for our own britches, you know, like that. All right, let's close up. I can went a little longer on the Lord's Prayer than I wanted to because you can't do that, can you? You can't go too long on the Lord's Prayer. That's a good thing. Anyway. And Jesus, this is what Jesus says to, about his people in Psalms 91. He goes, Jesus, God is literally begging us to pray. And Psalms 91, 14 says, because he holds, God is talking to this man, because he holds fast to me in love. Because you love God. Why do we love God? Because we know what Jesus did. 
You see what I'm saying? We, we're our motivation. We just want something up here. So, oh, my God, he did that for me. All right. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Only the church knows his name. When he calls to me, I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him, and I will honor him. I will honor him. So we rejoice in our privileged position, and we, and, and we are realizing, again, we are the only people in the world that this is true about. You understand that? Do you understand? We are the only people in the world this is true. This is not true of anybody. But us, but us. And so we rejoice that we have access. And with access comes power. And, and again, it's just so Second Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And all this comes, in my humble opinion, being right here and understanding the unbelievable price Jesus made. All God's people said. And it's something else. If you can't grasp and it come to understand this, you can't move. You will not grow. It's all centered about understanding the price Jesus paid. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. And Lord, uh, we want to... Lord, it's, you know, I can very convicted that I don't pray enough to you, that I don't spend time with you and go before you. And I pray that all of us together just realize the power from you that the, that the payment that you pay out, paid is beyond anything we can imagine. So, Lord, we just pray that you would move us to prompt us to go before your throne and cry out to you, Lord, and knowing that you're... You rejoice and you beg us to come before your throne and you beg us to come before your throne and that we come before your throne and you embrace us and guide us through this life in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.